And Lord, we just thank you for your word. We ask that you be glorified today in our service and that we, your people, are edified as we worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here I'm just going to read this part of this account from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 29. Here's what it says, everyone. But he, this is the officer. I started this. This is part two of last week's message. The, the lawyer. And again, this is a lawyer that is not like a lawyer in a court of law. But this is like a lawyer who knows the biblical law, the Levitical law. This is, guy, this is kind of like a guy that's an expert in Jewish law and Levitical law and Hebrew customs, and he understands, quote unquote, the Bible, the Old Testament, theoretically better than anyone else. So here's what this guy says. Listen to this and, and see, what, see how you walk away feeling about religious people that aren't converted. It says, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is when this is when the the the, uh, the the guy was asking, you know, what should we do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord had him recite the Shema, which is essentially, love the Lord thy the you know, hero Israel, the Lord thy God, He is one. And you should love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's a combination of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, two passages that Jesus kind of com converged together. And so the guy um, said, well, who is my neighbor? Because you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, and I love, by the way, I love how Jesus works. Jesus doesn't always give direct answers. I, I touched on it a little bit. I won't get into the Socratic method or anything this week, but Jesus doesn't always give direct answers. What Jesus really does so often is he restates the question or asks the question back to the person so they can hear themselves saying it and think about what the answer is. And it's a convicting way. It's a way of self-evaluation. It's a way of self uh, intro, uh, introspection where you really an analyze what are my motives for asking this. So this is just so amazing. So Jesus said, rather than answering the question directly about who was my neighbor, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I told you guys last week to walk from Jerusalem to Jericho, that road, I haven't been to Israel yet, but I've, I looked at it on, on Discovery Channel <laughs> and the internet, that road still exists as an 18 mile road. I should have brought uh, a video of it, but the Chosen hasn't covered this yet. But there's some other videos of the life of Jesus that you can see this road, 18 mile road, narrow, windy road, very dangerous road, very uh, pr uh, prone to robbers and thieves uh, mugging you on this road, taking all your goods. And by the way, there was a saying that you didn't ever travel this road. They call it the Jericho Road. You never should travel this road alone. To do this alone was basically a death sentence. It was just foolhardy to do this uh, trip alone. So ostensibly, unless his partner left, this guy was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho alone on this dangerous, winding, hidden road, so to speak, where robbers were notorious for taking advantage of people. And here's what happened. 
He was going down this road, and in verse 30 it says, And he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Again, as I said last week, notice the direction that the priest is going. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means he's already served his priestly duty. He probably was there for Passover, one of the other holy days. So basically, he's okay to help someone if he's concerned about losing his turn in the temple in terms of touching a corpse. You couldn't tell, I guess, from the distance that he was walking if the guy was dead or alive. The Bible says he was half dead, so probably wasn't moving and, and very shallow breaths. The priest passed by, and when he saw him, it's like the guy is lying here, and there's the guy. The priest went on the other side, pretty much as far as possible he could get away from. I'm going to talk about the priest in a second because the priest is my point number four. I have four quick points. I'll get to the priest last. And then the Bible says in verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him. He passed by the other side. Again, as far away as these guys can get. No love here, no compassion, no, no sympathy at all. The Bible says, but a Samaritan. I won't go into the background. I've covered it many times. You can check it out online. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The oil and wine, that connection was to provide an antiseptic that would both soothe the pain and also kill any germs to prevent further infection. Just, just, just amazing. Who, who travels with oil and wine? I mean, this, just, just the resourcefulness. I don't know if he had it because he was a traitor. I don't know if he had it because... He was carrying it with him for such a case as this. I don't know if he had it because some of the packaging or, or the parcels that he had contained oil and wine. But just what resourcefulness. I just love this. Then he sent him on his, on, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he even stayed beyond that. That's it's just too much to cover. Uh, but but I just want to say this guy is amazing. This this guy is just my new best friend in Luke 10. And the next day he took out two denarii. A denarii is worth about 50 bucks today. It's the equivalent of one one denarii. It's the equivalent of one day's labor for common labor. So this was probably like $100 that he gave the innkeeper, which is not a bad sum even today. You know, just to give somebody $100, a total stranger to take care of them, you know, I mean, I don't know how you could even stay at Motel 6 for $100 anymore, but maybe you could. Either way, Tom Bodette had the light on for him, obviously, and they dropped the guy off, and he told the innkeeper, hey, if there's anything that you incur, any expenses, here's what he says, to, to be exact. He says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus reiterated the question to the guy and said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And of course, <laughs> the lawyer was trapped by his own trap. Talk about digging a ditch and falling in it yourself. You all still with me? 
he fell in the ditch and that he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I mean, what just what an amazing account. We don't know if it was a parable, true story. It really doesn't matter. The principles are all the same and they're all very good. And here's principle number one, takeaway number one. Ready? I know it's in your notes, but I changed the order a little bit, so you're going to have to listen too. But the content is there. I changed the order this morning. I got up and I just wanted to start reviewing. I thought oh, this might make sense to go this way. So here, here we go. The first thing is, we should not be all talk and no walk. And when I look at this, I pointed out the action words, the verbs that are in this particular area of chapter 10. And watch this. Jesus said, he started, the guy started, what must I do? Verse 25 of 10, what must I do? You follow me? I do. Second thing, Jesus said in 28, do this and you shall live. The next time we see Jesus say the one, or, or actually the man answering Jesus' question in verse 37, acting that the guy that showed mercy, doing mercy, doing mercy, doing grace, and verse 37, Jesus said, go and do likewise. So all these do's, you need to do, you need to be about doing. Not about talking, but about doing. People respect us more when our actions match up and line up with our words if we're all talking no action we're hypocrites we're phony right brother cole that's phoniness when you're all talk and no action jesus said you want to be legit you want to you want to be more than just religious you want to be real because there's some people that are religious and some people are real sometimes the two aren't the same he said, if you want to be real, then go and do likewise. Do like the Samaritan did. Help a stranger. Help a person that looks different than you, a different color than you, a different background than you, a different nationality than you, a different religion than you. Somebody that might actually not like you. See, because we're, we're, it's easy to help someone that looks like us and that acts like us and thinks like, thinks like us. It's easy to help someone that we like. It's easy to help someone that would help us. Would you help a KKK member? Would you help a vile Nazi? Would you help someone that absolutely despises you? That's really what Jesus is talking about. Really, I'm just going to make it real. I mean, it's easy for us to talk about Jews and Samaritans because we're neither Jewish or Samaritan. But we know about hate groups. We know about hate language. We know about hate speech. We know what prejudice and racism and sexism and classism looks like. We know about those isms. Here's takeaway point number two. I love this one. The point number two is, when the guy asked, the Bible says in verse 29, but justifying, but he, he desiring to justify himself, said, who is my neighbor? Listen, when you have to ask, who is your neighbor, you got a problem. That's the equivalent of asking, who do I have to help? Who do I have to like? 
Who do I have to show compassion to? This is a cop-out. This is not a question. This is a guy that's looking for a loophole. Who do I really, who am I obligated to help here? What's my liability here? What's my exposure? Who do I really need to help? Can I admit this person, but help this guy? That's the kind of nitpicking he's doing. Listen, if you have to find a line or look for the line of demarcation or draw a line saying, say, okay, I'm, I'm obligated to do this, but I don't have to do that, then your heart's not right. You're looking for a way out. Are you all with me? When you have to ask who your neighbor is, that's the equivalent of asking, who do I have to help in this world? Who do I have to be kind to? Who do I have to show compassion to? I, I, I shared this this morning in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is a great verse. Put it in your notes because you don't have it in your notes because I just added it this morning. Here's, here's what it says. Micah said, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Watch this. You want to know what God requires of us? It's really simple. It can, be, it can fit in one sentence what God requires of us. He says, number one, do justice. That means to act right. Let's just put it in plain English. It means to act right. Treat people right. Amen? Treat people right. That's number one. Here's number two, very similar to that. He says, and love kindness. He says, be kind. Hey, guys, you know this. Christians can be some of the meanest people. We can be so mean. We can be so rude. We can just be not nice. You don't even have to be mean. Just the absence of politeness and kindness is the equivalent of being mean. And the Bible said, no, act right, treat people with kindness, okay? And then there's one more. And he says, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's Micah, the sixth chapter, verse eight. Great verse. It's a great code of conduct, isn't it? Put that one on your refrigerator. Because this guy wasn't asking a question. He was submitting a complaint. Here's takeaway point number three. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. The third point is, what is the proof of real salvation is what the guy, the, 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 the lawyer, the guy that was an expert in Old Testament law, he said, why, what can I do to really know for a fact that I'm saved? What can I do? What's the, what's the litmus test? What's the proof positive that I'm saved? Well, let me just tell you something. It's not about singing and shouting. It's not, it's the proof positive is not dancing and, 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 and jumping up and down and doing nice things or even charitable things. That in and of itself isn't the total proof. The Bible says that the law does not save us in Galatians 3.24. Just obeying the law in and of itself because we can't keep it perfectly. That doesn't save us. The law shows us, everybody, the law is a schoolmaster. It reveals to us that we need to be saved. It shows us that it's impossible to keep the Ten Commandments and the other laws. You know, the Jews have added up to 613 additional laws, 365 negative ones, 
and 248 positive ones. They had all these rules and regulations. The law was not designed to be kept on the basis of, of following every letter. It was designed to be kept on following the spirit of the law. And so the Bible lets us know, and by the way, I, I looked this up. Brother Coach did an excellent job two years ago. I'll give you the date, the actual date and time. It was 6 p.m. on June 12, 2021. Coach taught a lesson, Galatians 3, 15 through 29, on exposing our needs. Ask him. He'll give you the notes. And if he doesn't have them, I got them. <laughs> I know he has them because he typed them up. So look at, look at Coach's Bible study on Galatians 3, 15 through 29 when he talked about exposing our needs. And that was this very lesson about what the law does. We studied Galatians for several months, and Coach did an amazing job. The thing is, though, guys, is listen, real conversion requires real conviction. A reason a lot of people don't completely get saved and just stay religious is because they never have any real conviction. They never feel contrite. They just never feel totally in there. They're always on the outside. They don't really feel connected. By the way, Marie and I did four podcasts. Check out podcast number, episode numbers. Um, write this down, if you will, please. We, we did six podcast in a row on contrition and repentance. It's episode 197 through episode 202 of the In the Word podcast. We did four episodes on repentance and two on contrition, and we talked about what real repentance and real contrition looks like. And, here, and by the way, here's what Jesus said. If you really think you're saved, if you really want to know the litmus test or the proof of your salvation. Jesus said in John 8 31, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Different translations read it slightly differently, but essentially that's what it says. You are truly disciples of mine. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, 2 says essentially the same thing. It's in the notes. By which also you are saved. How am I saved, brother pastor? If you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believe in vain. So guess what? Here, Stay with me. I'm almost done. That means that it's possible to believe in vain. It's possible to believe Jesus but not be saved because your belief isn't based on the word. You believe there was a Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus. That means to the point that you follow him, you listen to him, you obey him. Amen? Almost done, but I love this in Acts 26.20. Paul, uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He says, repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. If you really save Acts 26.20, then your life will match your words. Your life will match his words, God's words. Amen? Okay, and here's my last point. This is the last takeaway. The last takeaway from the account of the Good Samaritan. Marcus, if you mind sharing the screen, please, about the comparison of the priests and the Levites. I think the, the, the last point that I'm making is don't let your protocol overrule your practice. That means don't become more about religion and more about churchiosity than you are about people helping 
serving, ministering to people. These two dudes, these, this priest, and this, I don't know, some of you guys may not can see this, and I, I don't know if I put it in your notes. Did I put this graph in your notes? Did I put a chart in your notes? Oh, shame on me. I, I actually, I didn't put it in your notes because I had Sister Marie in my head saying, you're giving us too much information. So, <laughs> oh, so I'll, I'll sit with you guys because I know some of you may not can read this. I'm just kidding, Sister Marie. So just check this out. My last point. There, you know, Jesus mentioned the priest and the Levites past the Samaritan, right? So I put this chart together about what priests do and what Levites do. Wait, wait for it. In church. In church. So, for instance, a priest offers sacrifices. A Levite performs music and accompanies sacrifices. Number two, a priest is disqualified by impurity or blemish. A Levite is disqualified only by impurity, not blemish. This is stuff that they made up, right? This is not, you won't find a scripture for these. But wait, there's more. It says here that a priest serves God directly. The Levites serve the priest. The priests guard the court. The uh, Levites guard the priest. The, the, the priests superintend maintenance of the temple complex. The Levites maintain the temple. A priest cannot marry a widow or a divorcee. But a Levite can marry a widow or a divorcee. But here's the real kicker. When it comes to someone's death, mourning, a priest can only mourn close relatives. A Levite can mourn anyone. The fact that these extinct, these differences exist, the fact that these distinctions have to be stated suggests there's something wrong with the system. Where's the compassion? Where's the mercy? Where is Micah chapter 6, verse 8? Where is, where is that at? Where is showing kindness and, and meekness and love and compassion for someone? Where is the justice? Where is the humility? It doesn't exist because these guys are too busy keeping protocol, worrying about touching a dead body or have dead body. You may laugh and say, oh, Pastor Will, I don't know why you're telling us about this because we would never do this. No, you may not do exactly this, but we may do something equally egregious that talks about that's religious but not related to God. Don't get caught up in being a quote-unquote Christian and forget about that we're still people. We're still God's people that minister to other people. People have to see Jesus through us. Don't leave that out of the equation. Amen? And I'm done. That's it. That's it. I'm going to sit down before I start up again. Here, oh, here's the Monday morning moment. The Monday morning moment is, as good Samaritans, we should go and do likewise. So everything, guys, everything that Jesus told that Samaritan, he's saying that to us. Let's go and do likewise. Show mercy, show kindness, show compassion, show gentleness, 
And we should do it for everybody, whether we like them or whether they like us. Yes, amen. You all got that? What a great lesson. Reread this at your leisure. Luke chapter 10. The whole chapter is amazing. But if you just focus on the Good Samaritan, it can be life-changing. It can be convicting. I don't want to come to church and leave the same every Sunday. I want to get better. I want to be more sensitive to others' needs. I want to be more sensitive to my brother and sister that doesn't look like me or have a different color or a different gender or a different belief system even. I want to make sure that Jesus can, be shine, can, can shine through me without me obstructing him with all my biases and prejudices, all my garbage, right? Amen. Let's find ways to serve people. Let's find ways to help people. Let's find ways to have people ask us about why are you so nice? Why are you so kind? So you can say, it ain't me. It's the Jesus in me. Can I tell you about him? You got a minute? <laughs> I mean, that's what we want. Amen. All right. Praise God. God is good. Hey, God is good. Amen. Amen. So 